0: are in a series called Roots and Basics. Look at the neighbor on your left and say, Roots. Roots. And the neighbor on your right and say, Basics. Basics. Mark my words, Pastor Mateo is going to write a book one day and the title is going to be Roots and Basics. We are going through some different forms of theology that make up the Christian faith. If you were here last week, Pastor Mateo opened up this series talking about the Father, the Son, and and the Holy Spirit. Tonight, I have the privilege of talking with you about the topic of sin. Everyone say sin. Ugh. Sin. All right. Now, I know some of you might be in here. You might not, have, you might not be at church very long. You're like, come on, pastor. Like, like Christianity is already hard enough tonight. I'm not ready for you to make it harder for me this evening. I got good news and bad news for you. My objective for you tonight is for you to not see Christianity as more difficult than you already do. My objective for you tonight is for you to see Christianity as impossible this evening. That is my hope. But here's where we're going to land. You with me? We're going to talk about sin, but this is where we're going to land. Jesus is hope. Everyone say Jesus is hope. When we talk about sin... This is where, for a believer, the ultimate destination is going to take us. Do I have any campers in the room here, campers, like people who enjoy, like, like getting out? You know when, like, you know when you, I, I don't camp very often. Maybe, maybe, my, let me make a pivot, like hikers, do I have any hikers in the room here? Okay, here's the thing, you know when you, like, like, okay, so two Thursdays ago, shh, bear with me. Two Thursdays ago, I woke up Thursday morning following service. And I drove down to Manitou at about 8 in the morning, and I did this beloved thing we have here in Colorado Springs called the Manitou Incline. Do I have anybody who's ever done the Incline before? This is, I mean, this is absolute misery. Now, here's the thing. Like, I'm I'm a Colorado Springs native. I started doing the Incline 15 years ago. Okay, so like I, I got to do it before it was all renovated and like I have a strategy when I do it. I, I, I have a mental approach and here's the thing, when I do the incline, I load up on water before but because I don't like carrying anything in my hands when I do the incline, I do the incline without any water. So like I'll, I'll march up that thing, you know, like one step at a time, I'll make it to the top and I'll be like so parched in my throat I'm like, I'm, like, so thirsty, but it's, like, okay, like, I know, like, okay, like, I've, I've made it to the top. I've made my ascent. I catch my breath, and I turn, and I go ahead, and I run bar trail. I run bar trail all the way down, and, like, I have a motivation to get back to my car because I have my water just sitting there in the cup holder with me. Now, you know, if you've ever done the incliner, if you're a hiker, H2O here in Colorado, like, tastes extra good, you know what I mean? Like, like when you are parched, when you are thirsty, when you are like on the verge of dying and you drink that water. And then I have this tradition. After, every time I finish the incline, it's like I deserve a reward. I'm very like, like driven by rewards. So every time I finish, I go hit up Chick-fil-A and I get a Chick-fil-A breakfast. You know what I mean? You get, you get, you, get, you know, like a, like, a, like a chicken biscuit and you get their like, their hash browns that taste like something from heaven. And an orange juice. And here's the thing. If you're a hiker, if you're a camper, you know what I'm talking about here. Where there's nothing different about the food. But for some reason, right after you finish hiking or when you're up in the mountains and you cook something over a fire, (laughs) it tastes so good. Are you with me?
1: Like it tastes so good. This is what I want to suggest to you this evening. Bear with me. The gospel of Jesus Christ
0: will taste so much sweeter to us if we have a good understanding of our sin. Are you with me? The better we can understand our brokenness, the better we can understand our need, the better we can understand our frailty, the more sweet Jesus will taste. And that is my hope for you and for me this evening, that by the end of tonight, Jesus looks better than he did when we walked in. Are you with me? Now, here's the thing. When we talk about the topic of sin, I'm talking about something that affects the life of every single person in this room. If you walked in this room and you're like, no, 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 sin doesn't affect me. I believe that it doesn't. I'm going to give you the premise for why I believe as a follower of Christ that it does. If you go to Romans chapter 3, verse 9, who's a- air dropping something to me right Who's June's? Who's June's? That's disgusting, June's. That's disgusting. We're going to have a pastoral conversation after, afterwards. All right, Romans chapter 3. I got to like reset. Let's pray. Bow your heads. <laughs> bow your heads, bow your heads, bow your heads. I was going to pray in like two minutes, but I, I need Jesus right now. Let's go ahead and quiet our hearts. And in our own ways, we're all going to pray for June's right now that the Lord will meet him. Eyes closed. Do me a favor. I have you do this on a regular basis. I'd love for you
1: just to picture that it's just you and God here in this room. You and God here in this room. Nobody else. And You're looking at God and God is looking at you and God has this look in his eyes towards you. As if he really, really, really cares for you. And maybe you're walking into this room tonight and you have a hard time believing. that. And I'd love for you to just your head bowed. You open your hands with me. Could you say these these three simple words? Holy Spirit, come. And what you do when you say those three words is you're inviting the presence of the living God to come and have his way with you. So, Lord, we welcome your presence here in this room tonight. And we declare that we need you. We need you. Holy Spirit, we need you to awaken. Our eyes this evening, we need
0: you to open our ears, our minds, give us hearts to receive. Lord, I pray in in the most gracious and gentle way
1: that you would help us to experience the weight of our sin here this evening. But that's not where you would leave us. But I pray that your grace, your mercy, your
0: goodness, your kindness, your gentleness would come and would wash over us. And
1: Jesus, that you would be much sweeter to us this evening. And in fact, that you would give us hope here tonight. So Holy
0: Spirit, would you come? Have your way. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to believe. And if you're with me tonight, can you say amen? Amen. Sin affects every single person in this room. Romans chapter 3. Can we put this on the screen, Mr. Bandy? The Apostle Paul, he's talking to the church in Rome, and he says this. For we have already charged that, what's that three-letter word? What is it? Do you know what the Greek definition for all is? Good job. We're paying attention the last three weeks. All, both Jews and Greeks, are under Sin, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All, everyone say all. All. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. What Paul is saying is that the whole of creation since Genesis chapter 3 has fallen short. Of the glory of God and is under sin. So if you're a believer here in this room tonight, what we believe is that every single human being is under this reality called sin. And this reality called sin affects much of the way we see the world, the way we live in the world, the way we interact with the world. In fact, as we're going to see tonight, it affects
1: our very being. Every single person in this room has been affected by the reality that we call sin. And so what I want to do tonight is I want
0: to try to take an attempt at answering four simple questions. Bendy, we're going to hop to this slide, then we're going to go back to Romans chapter 1. Four questions. Number one is, what is sin? Number two, if we were to look at sin kind of like a tree, I want to know what the root of sin is. Like where does all of this come from? I want to talk about what are the implications of sin in our life. And then finally, I want to land with why it matters. Why should we actually care about what sin is, what the root of sin is, and the implications it has for our life, and where I think we have an area in scripture, there are Plenty of places in the Old Testament and the New Testament that addresses this. One of the best places I think that addresses the reality of sin is Romans chapter 1. Again, Paul talking to the church in Rome. We're going to pick up in verse 16. Romans 1:16, Paul says this. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God for salvation. Everyone say Salvation. We're going to talk about that next week. To everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Verse 18, pay attention here. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonor of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. And everybody said, amen. Pay attention to what Paul does here. In verse 16, verse 16 and 17, he sets the context by saying, look, I am not ashamed of good news. I am not ashamed of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God for those who are going to be saved. For God has revealed himself to those who live by faith. And so he he goes, look, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. And before he begins to talk about this gospel, he spends the next two chapters in Romans talking about the human predicament. Talking about the reality of where Humans are apart from God. Now, the biblical understanding of sin is quite interesting. In the Old Testament, it has a Hebrew word called kata. Everyone say kata. In the New Testament, the Greek word is hamartia. Say hamartia. Now, it's interesting, both of these words, I, I gave the Hebrew just for you, Pastor Mateo. I know you appreciate that. Okay, both of these words have a similar meaning. Means to miss the mark, to not meet the goal, to fail, to violate that which should be right. So there's, there's this idea both in Old Testament and in New Testament that sin, sin is missing the mark, it's, it's falling short of this goal. So the question that we have to ask as followers of Jesus or people who are trying to perceive what is right and wrong in the world is, what is the goal that we fell short of? Like, like where, where is it that we as human beings are, 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 are missing the mark, are violating what should be? And the answer that we're given is when God gives the Ten Commandments to Israel. He gives them this law. And this law kind of expresses his character and his nature. This is how the world should be. And if you were to look at the Ten Commandments, you could separate the Ten Commandments into two primary categories. One category is, is how to love and honor God well. And the second category would be to love and honor your neighbor well. Are you tracking with me? So if we're going to talk about sin, what sin is doing is saying, hey, we're missing the mark on loving and honoring God well, and we're missing the mark on loving and honoring our neighbor well. Are you tracking with me? So he's saying we've fallen short in both of these categories. So we are, we are missing the mark of who we were created to be when we don't see God for who he is. When we don't love him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. And when we don't love our neighbor as ourself. This is why Jesus in the New Testament said the entirety of the law, the entirety of God's character and his nature can be summed up in these two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is sin when we fail to do either of these things. And so the question that I have is what's the root of that? Like, like where does that come from? Look, like We can sit here in church and I, we can talk till we're blue in the face about the things that you're doing wrong in your life. The things that I'm doing wrong in my life. The things that we see wrong with the world. Right, Like when, we, when, when the Bible talks about sin, it's not just talking about sin in the individual. It talks about sin in a community. It talks about sin in a nation. It, talk, it talks about sin with humanity. So it's both individual and it is collective. Like we could sit here and we could, we could go till we're blue in the face on where you're falling short. Where I'm falling short. How we don't honor our father or our
1: mothers. How we, how we lie, cheat, steal. How maybe we, we deal with sexual
0: addiction and sexual immorality. How maybe we're careless with the way that we're living our lives. Maybe, maybe you're dealing with substance abuse and you're like, like we, could, we could go till we're blue in the face. at All the ways we have failed at loving God and honoring God and loving our neighbor and honoring our neighbor. But what I want to know and what I think is important for us now is what's at the bedrock of that? Where does all of that come from? And I think, I want to suggest to you, Paul gives us an answer right here in verse 25 of Romans chapter 1. He says, because they exchanged the truth. Everyone say, exchange the truth. Exchange the truth about God for a lie. And worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. So this is what... This is what Paul is saying. He's saying, look, if we, were to, if we were to cut off the tree of sin and we were to go down to the roots, like where did all of this filth come from? Where does lying and cheating and, and coveting thy neighbor's wife and, and taking the Lord's name in vain and, and not honoring the suffering, where do all of these things come from? He says it's two things. We exchange a truth for a lie. In other words, we take what we know to be right and we disregard it for something that is less than i heard this joke one time of a of a young boy at school who was who was picking on a younger kid and he was he would sit there every day for months and he would hold a dime and a nickel in front of the younger kid and he'd say which one do you want which one's of more value and the younger kid would take the nickel cuz it was bigger you remember when you thought like bigger coins were like more expensive and, he, and the older kid would sit and, like, make fun of this kid over and over and over again. And, and one day, finally, there's, like, another kid who took pity on this young kid. And he's like, bro,
1: don't you know that, like, a dime is worth more than a nickel? And the younger kid goes, yeah. But if he finds that
0: out, he won't give me a free nickel every day. <laughs> right? Like, like, like there's, this, there's this idea where we, we, we sit there and we look at like what do we perceive to be, to be value and we start claiming on like what is value and what we end up doing is we start exchanging dimes for nickels. We start taking what we know to be true and disregarding it. Look how Paul says it yet again here in chapter 1 verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. In other words, they are without excuse. They know, we know God to be real by what is plain in creation. What what God is saying here is you can wake up in the morning and you can look at another human being and if you're sitting here going like, pastor, I want definitive proof that God is real. Like what is your proof that God is real? One of the first things that I would say is like wake up in the morning, walk into the bathroom and look in the mirror. Proof. That God is real. There's no one on Earth like you. Think about that. Of like that, we're like at like seven billion people now. I think maybe more. I don't know. Who cares about the ratio, right? Like, like of all the people on Earth who have ever been over time, there is not a single human being who is exactly like you. You were made in the image of God, according to Genesis one and two, which means. That you bear God's image, whether you're a follower of of Christ or not. And so when I look at you, I get to go, proof, it is plain to me. God is real. What he's saying right here is for all humanity, it is plain in creation that God is real. They know about God. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been what? Clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So we are without excuse. For although they knew God, pay attention here. What he's saying right there is, for although they had knowledge about God, this is a big, big point that you can't miss. Pay attention. What Paul is saying here is you can be someone sitting in this room who has great knowledge about who God is, and yet you don't know God personally. Are you with me? This is like, This is dangerous for the Christian church right now. Lots of people who can can tweet, who can post on social media, who can tell the world, look, I know a lot about God. In fact, I can quote the Bible to you. But the question is not, do you know knowledge about God? The question before the human race is, do you have a personal relationship with that God? Are you in personal relationship with that God? For they knew God, but they did know. Not honor him. They had all this knowledge, but they did not honor him or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So, what, what Paul is saying here is look, sin, the essence of sin, like, like the basis, the bedrock, the roots of sin, is that sin hates the truth. The s- sin will always reject truth to embrace. This is what happens like when you wrestle with an addiction, right? What sin tells you is like, look, that is going to satisfy you. Don't you know? Like, like you were made to be satisfied like by that thing. And what Paul is saying right here is, is look, if that's exchanging a truth for a lie. You were never made to be satisfied by that thing. You were never made to be satisfied by sex. You were never made to be satisfied by money. You were never made to be satisfied by relationships. You were never made to be satisfied by social status or power. Like none of those things. You were made to be satisfied by something else, namely the one who made you. Sin exchanges truth for a lie, but it doesn't just end there. Sin doesn't
1: just hate things, sin loves things. Namely, it loves anything other than our creator. He says
0: in number two, the other reason, the other bedrock for sin is that we worship the creature rather than the creator. We stand in awe of what God made rather than God himself. Are you with me? We stand in awe Of what God made rather than God Himself. Look here in verse 22. He says, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. What He's defining here is idolatry. He's saying, you want to know where like sin comes from? you want to know where addiction to pornography comes from? You want to know where divorce comes from, you want to know where disease comes from? is all of a sudden, what, what man begins to do is they begin to say, "You know what's better than the one who created all of these things?" is these things.
1: You know what's better than what God wants? What I want. This here is the root of all sin, that I want my way and not his way.
0: This is what happens in Genesis 3, isn't it? Like if, if you were born in church and you have some understanding of what took place in creation, like we have, if you weren't born in church, let me, let me catch you up, church. church. If you weren't born in church, if you weren't born in church, get my words right, all right? If you weren't born in church, let me catch you up. Genesis 1 and 2, the very beginning of the Bible, we have God creating Everything. And as he creates everything day by day, he calls it good. And, and, and on the sixth day, he creates man and woman in his image. And he gives them the, the, the great commission to go and be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and to subdue it. And they have dominion over the, all the earth. And he gives them one command. He says, Look, all this is yours. But in this garden in which I'm going to place you, There's a tree known as the knowledge of good and evil. Do not eat from that tree. Genesis chapter 3. One chapter later, we have man and woman failing to love and honor God and failing to love and honor one another. And all of a sudden, everything fractures. And what they do is they exchange the truth that God is enough. For the lie that they could be better. And what they do is they begin to worship themselves rather than the God who made them. Brothers and sisters, the root of all sin is that we exchange the truth for a lie. And we worship anything other than God himself. Are you with me tonight? But here's what happens when that takes place. There are implications for our life. Implications of sin. Number one is that sin separates. Pay attention here. Genesis chapter 3, the very end of Genesis chapter 3. God comes walking through the garden and he's going, what's taking place here? Where are you? And they're hiding because they're naked. And he says, where are you? And they said, look, we're hiding because we were naked. And he says, wait, who told you that you were naked? Have you done what I've asked you not to do? Have you taken of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And you got Adam starting the blame game. He blames the woman. The woman blames the serpent. And all of a sudden, we see, like, the cosmos fractured. We see all of a sudden, like, the effects of sin begin to take place. And God speaks to the man, and he speaks to the woman, and he speaks to the sermon. At the end of this, it says that God took some skins, and he made clothes for them. And pay attention right here. Genesis three twenty-two. it says... Then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us. You see that word us right there? Going back to what Pastor Mateo was talking about last week. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Trinity. In knowing good and evil, now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Verse 23, this breaks my heart. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of eden to work the ground from which he was taken and he drove out the man and at the east of the garden of eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life so what is the effect of sin what is the effect of exchanging the truth for a lie what is the effect of
1: worshipping anything other than god himself
0: separation
1: from god broken Relationship from God. Hear me, brothers and sisters. This is the essence of death. Separation from the one that created us. The implications
0: of sin. The implications of not honoring God or loving God or loving our neighbor and honoring our neighbor is separation. But it doesn't just end there. Sin also enslaves.
1: And I need you to catch this tonight. Because sin isn't simply things that you do. Pay attention.
0: This is, this is why people, when, when people think of sins as something you do, then Christianity is hard. You with me? If sins are reduced to simply things that you do, like, look, don't have sex with your girlfriend, don't have sex with your boyfriend. Don't cuss. Don't drink. Honor your father and mother. Like, follow all these rules. Like, like, go ahead and honor the Sabbath. Do not covet. Do not want something that is not yours. Like, Like, don't do all of these things. When we reduce it to that, Christianity becomes hard because we're all really pathetic at that. Are you with me? But if sin is just simply things we do, then here's the invitation for you tonight. Try harder. Work harder. Become more religious. But if sin is more than just the things we do, if it's, if it's more as Paul would describe, like a power that we are under and in fact something that's a part of our nature, a part of our being, then no amount of hard work is going to change who you are. Are you with me? Let me say that again. No amount of hard work is going to change who you are. Are. Let, me, let me show you what I mean when it says what we're enslaved to sin. John chapter 8. John chapter 8 verse 34. It says, Jesus answered them, truly, truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is what? Is what? A slave to sin. In other words, you're mastered by sin. Your will is controlled by sin. But here's the thing. All of us know here what it is like to have To to know what is right, to know what is good, and to not choose it. Are you with me? Have you ever had a moment in your life where you know what the right thing to do is and yet you still don't do it? You know what I'm talking about if you have siblings. Right? Like you know what is right and yet you still don't do it. But here's, here's good news for you this evening. Paul gets that. If you fast forward to Romans chapter 7... Romans chapter 7 this is what he says for I do not understand my own actions let me turn around and read it this way for I do not do what I want but I do the very thing I hate can any of you resonate with that he says I do not do the thing that I want to do like I know it's good to honor the sabbath I know it's good not to indulge in this addiction. I know it's good to honor my father and mother. And yet, I still do the very thing that I don't want to do, that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, and that is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but what? Sin that dwells within me. So he's beginning to talk about sin, not just as something you do. But sin as a, as a power, as a force that controls who you are. He says, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Pay attention. This, I hope this has given some of you hope. Who have tried so hard just to like get it right. You're trying so hard to get it right, and yet you seem to keep falling short. Hear me, Paul understands what that's like. And he's saying, look, that's the reality of sin. Continuing to fall short, continuing to miss the mark, c- continuing to violate what should be. He's like, I get it. You want to do what is right, and yet you do not have the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on Doing, verse 20, now if I do what I do not
1: want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. What well, Paul is getting at here, he's just
0: going, look, I want you to stop looking at what you are doing. And I want you to realize the power that you are under apart from Christ. Are you with me? Quit being concerned about what you get right, what you get wrong. Quit being concerned about being able to keep the commandment or continuing to miss the commandment. He's saying, Look, I want you to see what the root is. The very thing that you do want to do, you cannot do. The very thing that you don't want to do, you keep on doing. Why? Because you've been seized by the power of sin. In other words, you are a slave to something, you are under control. Some, this sin is not just simply something that you do, it's who you are. Are you with me? We can't keep looking at sin as just where we're kind of following, falling short in our actions. But it's much deeper than that. It's not just what we do. It's part of our being. It enslaves us. It seeks to master us. But it doesn't just stop there. Like we, we're not just like kind of seized by sin and like, oh man, this is a bummer. Like I... Oh, that's, that stinks. It take, he takes it a step further. Sin alienates us from God. Pay attention here because this is where things start to get really dramatic. Colossians 1, 21, Paul says, once you were alienated from God and were what? What? Enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Romans 8, 7 through 8, he says this, for the mind that is set on the flesh is what? It's hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. You know why? Because sin exchanges the truth for a lie. It cannot submit to God's law. It cannot submit to what is right. So what does sin do? It separates us from God. Yes, and then it enslaves us, becomes our master. And what does that do? It makes us enemies of God. We are not just people like trying to avoid doing bad things. If you're, if you're someone in here just like trying to live right and you're hustling really hard. And, and you, you see yourself as kind of neutral and like the transcendent like reality of the universe. Paul is saying, stop. There's no such thing as neutral. Those who are in sin, those who sin is their identity. Their minds are
1: hostile towards God. They want nothing to do with loving and honoring God and loving and honoring their neighbor. When we exchange the truth for a
0: lie, when we worship the creature rather than the
1: creator, we become enemies of God. And you know what that ultimately produces? Death. Death. No life. No hope. Eternal separation,
0: lifelessness. James 1, 14 and 15, James says this. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, it gives birth to what? And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth what?
1: You know what Paul says in Romans chapter 6 that the wages of sin is? You know what sin earns you? Death. Death. Now I know this has been pretty bleak for like the last 30 minutes.
0: You sit here and it's like, okay, we're talking about sin. We're talking about like the weight of, okay, so, so what you're meaning to tell me, pastor, is that sin is missing the mark and I have missed the mark. And the root of that is that we exchange the truth for a lie and we worship anything other than Than God Himself. And what that means for our lives is that we're separated from God, we're enslaved by sin and mastered by it. Therefore, we become enemies of God and we are working towards death for those apart from
1: Jesus. Yeah. But this is why Jesus is hope. Because you see this verse? Catch this. Paul has no desire to leave
0: the people in Rome hanging. He says the wages of sin is death, but what?
1: The free gift of God is what? Where? Where? Where?
0: In Christ Jesus our Lord.
1: Can I get the worship team to go ahead and come up here? In Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's my hope for you tonight. Drew, let's bring down the lights. I want you to close your eyes. Close your eyes for me. A couple years ago, I was sitting at home and I got a phone call from my
0: father. Go ahead and look at me, actually, real quick. Look at me real quick. I got a phone call from my father. And he was freaking out over the phone. His, his voice was really, really intense. I'm sitting at home and I go, Dad, what, what's up? And he goes, son, I, I just got a phone call from a stranger telling me that your mother was in a car accident up on I-25, right off of Northgate. And he said, they gave me no answer for the condition of the accident. They gave me no condition. Like, they didn't tell me how your mom is doing. They just called me and said your wife's been in an accident on I-25, and and you need to get here immediately. And he was working all the way down at Peterson Air Force Base. And I said, uh, he said, he said, can you hop in your car and can you just go hop on I-25 and like go to see like what the case scenario is? He's like, I don't, he's like, I don't know if your mom is severely injured. I don't know if she's dead. I don't know if she's she's, she's just lightly hurt. Like I, I have no idea what's going on. They gave me no context. They just hung up, and I've tried to call back, and nobody's answering. So in this moment, I my, my blood's heightened. I'm like, yeah, I, I got it. So I hop in my car, and I, 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 I get on I-25, and I start heading north. And I'm approaching north gate. And as I'm heading northbound on I-25, I look over to my left on the southbound train, and I see my mother's car completely mangled. And I see traffic completely stopped and backed up. And I'm sitting there. And I'm the only one in my family who's seeing my mother's car. And I just begin to prepare my heart for the worst. I begin to prepare like, like, like I, might, I might be pulling up onto a scene to like my, my mom being gone. And nobody in my family has any idea. Nobody knows what's going on. The only knowledge we have up to this point is my dad heard my mom was in a car wreck I'm driving on I-25, I see her car completely mangled off the highway, and I'm like readying my heart. And I swing around, I begin to, to pull towards the accident. And right before I'm about to hop on the southbound lane, I get a phone call from my father. And he says, son, I just got off the phone with an ambulance. They're taking your mom to the hospital right now. She's okay. And I remember sitting there in my car. Sweating. Being on the verge of like, I'm about to prepare to see, is, is my mom gone? I just let go of the steering wheel and I just took a deep breath. Because after seeing her car, when I got that phone call, you know what I heard was, the reason why I'm talking to you tonight, why we are talking to you about the reality of sin tonight, is because the free gift of God, the free gift of salvation that God gives us in the person of Jesus Christ means nothing unless we know the reality that we're facing. The work that Jesus does on our behalf, do you, do you, do you not see that, that Jesus is not wanting you to like have better behavior? Jesus didn't come so that, like, you would figure out your addiction. Jesus did not come so that you would get your life in order. Jesus didn't come so that, like, you could, you could cross all your T's and dot all your I's and say, like, you're doing the Ten Commandments well. He came because you were completely incapable of doing any of it. He came because you were separated from him. He came because before the foundation of the world, he saw that you would be enslaved to something that would not work for your good. He looked at you before the foundation of the world and saw that you would be alienated from him, hostile towards him, and that your destination, my destination, would ultimately be death. so, Because God so loved the world. Because the world didn't have the ability to get it right. Because Christianity is not just simply hard. It's impossible. He sends his son. So that in the midst of bad news. In the midst of being separated. Enslaved alienated headed for death he would give you new life now can you bow your head there are people in here where you have struggled for quite some time with any form or any manner of sin and you're sitting here tonight and you're full of shame and you're full of guilt and you're embarrassed and you don't want anybody to know you've kind of bore it by yourself you've, you've, you've kept it hidden and the enemy has had a field day with you Feeling your mind, all sorts of dark thoughts. And what you're seeing tonight maybe for the first time is this isn't just like simply something that you are doing. but Maybe you're realizing that maybe this is like a power that you're under. And you want to experience freedom. And here's the thing. Maybe you're sitting here tonight and you're like, Pastor, you don't understand. Like I've, I've like told, I've, I've, to, I've tried to tell people about this before. I've, I've, try, I've tried to like confess this before, but I keep falling back into it. You resonate with Paul's words where the very thing you don't want to do, you keep on doing. I got good news for you tonight. Jesus wants to set you free. Here's what he wants to set you free from. The enemy continuing to condemn you and riddle you with shame and with guilt. Because here's the thing the cross of Jesus Christ, the finished work of Jesus Christ, pays for all of his people's sins, past, present, and future. And so, what I believe God has for you tonight is freedom. And you want to experience that freedom. And here's what I want to invite you into. I think the way for us to experience freedom as believers is through two vehicles that are really, really difficult. It's why the world hates them. Confession and repentance. If you want to experience freedom, it's yours. It doesn't require you getting your act together. It requires you coming to me to confess what is true. And so this is what I want to do tonight. I want to invite all the leaders to go ahead and come up here or come to the sides of the room. Drew, can we bring the the lights a bit darker? Can everybody stand with me? I have a sense this evening that there are at least some of you in here where you have wrestled with the weight of your sin, the reality of your sin for a long time. And you feel heavy, you feel weary, you feel tired, you feel ashamed, you feel guilty, you feel broken down. And here's what I want to give you an opportunity to do tonight. Just give it to the Lord. And in my experience, one of the best ways to give it to the Lord is to have a brother or sister in the faith pray over you. We haven't done this in a while. But I wanna give you that opportunity to come forward and get prayer, to confess, to tell like what's been going on in your life and been going on in in your heart to to just go ahead and let go of like the weight of that sin. Because hear me, Jesus has paid for it. And if you're sitting here tonight and you're like, I want that. I wanna enter into a relationship with Jesus. This is a great opportunity to come forward and pray with a brother and sister in Christ so here's what I want to do we're going to give some space here just for you to take time and pray if you want it if you want to if you want to take time with a brother and sister just to have them lay hands on you, I want to give you that opportunity, now here's what I do want to say I know because I've had many conversations in this room that there might be some of you in here who are you're wrestling with some severe forms of anxiety, depression, thoughts of suicide. Maybe you're dealing with self-harm. And I need you to hear me tonight. The Lord sees you and he cares for you. And this might be a night where you're wanting to come forward and you're wanting to confess that that's what's going on in your life. And hear me, I do not want to discourage that. I want to invite it. That's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful night to experience freedom. I want to be fair to you. And I want, I want to be fair to these leaders that if those are the things that you're going to come and bring forward, then those are things that we want to walk with you and your family beyond this point. And hear me, we, they won't go ignored. They'll go addressed. We're going to follow up with you. We're going to take time with you at the end of service. We're going to follow through with those things. But hear me, that's what we step into is the people of God. So that being said, Bow your heads with me one more time. We're going to go into a time of worship. If you want to come forward and get prayer, you can come forward and get prayer during this time. I want to ask you not to be talking with your friends right now. This is a moment between you and God. So Heavenly Father, we welcome your presence here. And we just declare that we need you. We understand that all of us have exchanged the truth for a lie. And we have worshiped anything other than you. And because those two things are true, we are all in need of you tonight. And so, Father, I pray for my friends who are riddled with shame, riddled with guilt, who are weary, who are tired, and who are wanting to experience freedom. I pray that you would fill them with faith and boldness tonight. I pray that you would give them the faith and the humility to bring it to you, to bring it to the light, and to release it. So, Lord, would you come have your way. Friends, if you want to get prayer, go ahead and come forward for prayer. If not, let's just go ahead and worship.